0: Welcome to the Beyond Sunday Podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday Podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, the Director of Broadcast and Media Outreach here at First Baptist, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Jordan. I uh, we are coming off of what is one of my favorite experiences every single year, and that is our sanctuary choir and orchestra Christmas program, and it was just phenomenal, just phenomenal. We have so many gifted artists here, so many talented musicians, and and all the the people that it takes to make. Sound and make it wonderful, and that is such a vital Christmas tradition to me personally, to our family, to our church, and so it's kind of a a Christmas crescendo for us, and um, just so thankful for our church and all the many people who use their gifts and talents and abilities and resources to um, to point us to Jesus. So I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of loving it. Plus. The, uh, the Advent Sunday of joy um, is the anniversary of when my little girl prayed to receive Christ. Oh, and, wow. um, she has the pink candle from our family Advent wreath in her room from that year because it was that night that she recognized that she was a sinner in need of a Savior, and she prayed to receive Christ. So uh, just, just a lot of fun over the past weekend. So man, how are you? I'm doing great.
0: Yeah, this, uh, this event that we had this weekend, the Choir and Orchestra event, is one of my favorite events as well mm-hmm. for the year. Listeners, if you want to watch that, we'll have the link to it in the notes so you can watch it later. Totally worth your time. For sure. So this Sunday was the Advent Sunday of Joy, and the passage from this weekend was Romans eight thirty one through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, Okay, so in this passage, Paul says that Jesus is interceding for us at the right hand of God. What, what does that mean?
1: So Jesus functions to fulfill three offices that were present in the Old Testament. Um, he fulfilled all of those offices in himself. He is prophet, priest, and king. And one of the functions of the priest is to intercede to God on behalf of the people. Uh, That was the Old Testament role of the priests. One of the things they did was to talk to God on behalf of the people. And so you look at the Day of Atonement, for example. Um, The priest is talking to God and making sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. Well, Jesus is our perfect high priest. And one of the things he does for us is he prays for us. Hebrews 7.12 says he is able for all time to save those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And then Romans 8.34, as you've mentioned, says that he indeed intercedes for us. Theologian Wayne Grudem has some really helpful comments on this um, that I think will be helpful as we understand what Jesus is doing in interceding for us. Grudem says we may conclude then that both Paul and the author of Hebrews are saying that Jesus continually lives in the presence of God to make specific requests and to bring specific petitions before God on our behalf. This is a role that Jesus as God-man is uniquely qualified to fulfill. Although God could care for all of our needs in response to direct observation, yet it has pleased God, in His relationship to the human race, to decide to act instead in response to prayers, apparently so that the faith shown through prayer might glorify Him. It is especially the prayers of men and women created in His image that are pleasing in God's sight. In Christ, we have the true man, a perfect man, praying and thereby continually glorifying God through prayer. Thus, human manhood is raised to a highly exalted position, and then he quotes 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So we see that, that, that Jesus' manhood, the fact that he was 100% man, is vitally important here. But then Grudem pushes us to understand really the message of Christmas, that the incarnation was Christ as God and man. He's 100% God. man, so listen to what Grudem says here. Yet in his human nature alone, Jesus could not, of course, be such a great high priest for all his people all over the world. He couldn't hear the prayers of persons far away, nor could he hear the prayers that were only spoken in a person's mind. He couldn't hear all requests simultaneously, for in the world at any one moment, there are millions of people praying to him. Therefore, in order to be the perfect high priest who intercedes for us, He must be God as well as man. He must be the one who in his divine nature can both know all things and bring them into the presence of the Father. Yet because he became and continues to be man, he has the right to represent us before God, and he can express his petitions from the viewpoint of a sympathetic high priest, one who understands by experience what we go through. He says, therefore, Jesus is the only person in the whole universe for all eternity, who can be such a heavenly high priest, one who is truly God and truly man, exalted forever above the heavens. So I'll end Grudem's quote there, but I'm going to tell you just so amazing that here at Christmas we celebrate Jesus Christ is truly God, Jesus Christ is truly man, and as the unique and only God-man, he is the one mediator between God and man. So so does Jesus pray for us? No, he really does. Um, he intercedes on our behalf, and it appears uh, from the textual evidence that he intercedes in specific ways, not just as a general presence, but rather as one who actively petitions God the Father on our behalf, which is just remarkable if you think about it. Um, the fact that Jesus would love us is Overwhelming to me. The fact that Jesus would want us is overwhelming for me. But the fact that Jesus would even pray for us uh, is overwhelming to me.
0: The language you're using there makes me think of John 17, where he's at the Last Supper table and he's giving this uh, discourse at the end of the dinner. But then he also says, I do not ask for these only, the disciples at the table, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. There really is a lot there when you start to think about Jesus as the high priest. Um, but then also there's uh, something to be said about Jesus as our uh, defender almost in like a court sense. So on, on like the opposite end of things, uh, if Jesus is interceding for us, uh, is Satan actively accusing us before God in some sort of like courtroom sense? So is it right to imagine it kind of like the scene in Job, if that makes sense? Well, you think about Job
1: and... and uh, God is in the heavens and the heavenly beings are there and there's Satan. Where have you come from roaming to and fro throughout the earth? And and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And um, Satan says, yeah, he's got everything going for him. But if you would, if you would strike him, smite him, deal harshly with him, he would turn on you in a minute. I'm paraphrasing. Um, And so that's where we get the whole book of Job where God says, fine, watch this. Um, (laughs) there's another scene in Zechariah Mm. that is just unbelievable. So the prophet has these visions and this is the post-exilic. So they've returned from the Babylonian exile. Um, and Zechariah is receiving these visions that God is giving and, and God gives him a vision of Joshua, the high priest, not Joshua, the one who led them across, you know, um, led them across the Jordan, but this is a different Joshua, the high priest. And, and I actually want to share this, um, Zechariah says in Zechariah chapter three, beginning with verse one, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. So so picture this scene. Here's your courtroom. Joshua is supposed to be the high priest who intercedes for the people. But his filthy garments illustrate that he has his own sin issues. You have to be clean before God to intercede for the people. Only God can make you clean. And so what do you have here? Well, you have God making Joshua the high priest clean. And then, oh man, this is so unbelievable. So to continue in Zechariah 3, beginning with verse 6, And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing there. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. Branch is capitalized here. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. And that day, declares the Lord of hosts. I've got goosebumps, by the way. (laughs) And that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. So what do you have here? You have God making Joshua clean because Joshua was going to serve as the high priest, and to be the high priest, you got to be clean. Then you have God talking about the branch, and it's capitalized. Well, what is the branch? It is the branch from the stump of Jesse. It 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 is the descendant of David. It is the Messiah. Who is the Messiah who will, in a single day, make us clean? Well, his name is Jesus. So, uh, again, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. so does Satan actively accuse us yeah well, I think Satan does accuse us in fact, in Revelation chapter twelve verses nine through eleven this this is an important um And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. So does Satan accuse us before God? Yes. Does Satan accuse us to us? He really does. Uh, When God was calling me into ministry, that was a period of intense spiritual warfare with the enemy just throwing all of my sin at me. And how could God use you in ministry because you've done this and you've thought this and you've said this and all those sorts of things? And it it was just beating me down. Um, And that's why I think Romans chapter 8 is such a vital chapter. It's probably my favorite whole chapter in the Bible. But it begins with, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's vitally important because the enemy will consistently accuse us. And, And he's not lying to us. Here's your sin. You've done this. You're guilty of this. But he's misleading us and deceiving us because... If I'm in Jesus Christ, then that sin is forgiven. It has been washed clean, separated from me as far as the East is from the West, not charged against me anymore. God does not view me uh, as the perpetrator of that sin, but rather the one who has been cleansed by his son and the one who has received the righteousness of Christ by faith in Jesus Christ. So um, does Satan accuse us? Yes. Where is our victory? Not in the fact that his accusations are necessarily even incorrect, um, but in the fact that Jesus has overcome our sin,
0: Zechariah is just such a underread little book, isn't it? Yeah.
1: What 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 an amazing vision to show us um, how God has accomplished our redemption and silenced the accusations of our accuser.
0: Yeah, and I was getting goosebumps as you were talking about it because I was thinking about Joshua's name. So oh, you know, oh. Joshua, Yehoshua in Hebrew, but. When you convert that after a couple of centuries, you know, you get to the time of Jesus, Yehoshua is shortened to Yeshua, which is the name of Jesus. That's right. So, you know, you have this prophecy given to Joshua, or, you know, you could translate it as Jesus, this uh, priest who's not an ancestor of Jesus, but he's standing in a similar priestly role. Yeah. And then the next chapter, God's giving this prophecy to Zerubbabel, who is an ancestor of Jesus. He says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. So again, he's, he's talking to Zerubbabel. There is a some fulfillment here in Zerubbabel, but there's also fulfillment down the road to Zerubbabel's descendant, Jesus. That's right. That's right. And and the name Yehoshua, Yeshua,
1: means Yahweh saves. And that's why here at Christmas um, when... God, through his messenger, tells Mary, you shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Well, that name is highly significant. So a bunch of beautiful connections all throughout the storyline of Scripture.
0: Okay, so back in the Romans passage, Paul lists off several mortal dangers and says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's attractive to read into that, that God will spare Christians of difficulties in this world, but that can't be the case. How are we more than conquerors over the trials and tribulations of this world? We live in a world in which we see Christians and non Christians alike
1: dealing with trials and tribulations. How then are we who follow Christ, who have to deal with the same trials and tribulations that others have to deal with, Uh, how are we more than conquerors? Well, the simple answer is the trials and tribulations don't ultimately win. You know, I think of it this way for those of us who are in Christ, the trials and tribulations that we face here are as bad as it gets. And for those who are not in Christ, the trials and tribulations that they face here, that really kind of is as good as this world can offer. And so there's a completely different perspective from an eternal perspective that our afflictions, as Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, our afflictions are light and momentary when compared to eternity. So again, I'll remind you of this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16-18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It's not that we don't suffer. We suffer, but we know that the suffering does not have the final word for us. And further, we know that the suffering will end. It will come to an end, and we will enter into the joy of our Lord and Savior, and all will truly be well for us. For those who are outside of Christ, who have yet to come to Christ— What they can expect for eternity far exceeds the suffering that they are experiencing now. And so again, we would say, if you're not in Christ, come to Christ. His arms are open to receive you, and He is willing to give you this glorious hope for all eternity. that's the difference, and I, I think that's how we can be called more than conquerors through Him who loved us, because ultimately the victory has been won and we will not be defined by our suffering or our struggle for all eternity no we will be defined by his victory uh, and the fact that he has overcome the world
0: that's so good i take solace in the fact that he goes on and he lists other things that are maybe more horrifying than death that we're you know also victors over because of the resurrection that we find in Jesus. Yeah. You know, he lists neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation. If none of those things are to be things that we fear, then what is there to fear? Yeah, that's exactly right. So if if he's overcome my sin,
1: if he's overcome the grave, if he's overcome Satan and he's overcome all the demonic realm and he's overcome hell itself – Yeah, those are the big things. (laughs) Those are the biggies. Um, And so, yeah, we're, we're conquerors because we stand
0: in his victory there. Yeah. So, all of these questions lead into our listener question. Listeners, if you have a question for us, just go to the link in the description or comment on this post below. So, Jeff, what are your thoughts on Melchizedek? Do you think he was an early appearance of Jesus, or is he more of a type of Christ? Well, that's a great question
1: from an obviously thoughtful listener. And Melchizedek is an enigmatic figure, no doubt. So Melchizedek appears in Genesis, and Melchizedek uh, is discussed again in Hebrews. Um, I would I would commend to your reading Hebrews chapter seven. I'm tempted to read the whole thing, but Hebrews chapter seven overtly compares Jesus to Melchizedek. Melchizedek, who is the king of Salem, uh, who is also the priest of the Most High God. Well, the king of Salem. Uh, Salem is Shalem, peace. Uh, So he is the king of peace. Well, who does that sound like? So there are a whole lot of things that, that, that coincide. We've already talked about how Jesus functions as prophet, priest, and king. Well, Melchizedek is priest and king. So Um, Do I think that Melchizedek was an early appearance of Christ, or, this question, was Melchizedek a type of Christ? Now, let me define that term type, because that matters. I think we're tempted to to hear type of Christ and take it to mean a kind of Christ. Um, That's not what it means. A type, uh, in this case, is an Old Testament figure who in some way foreshadows Christ, And so we think about several of our Old Testament heroes who in some way foreshadowed Christ. Isaac, for example, when he was laid upon the altar on the Moriah mountain range, ready to be sacrificed, um, but God stopped him. Uh, Isaac was functioning as a sacrifice, as a type of Christ in that moment. Um, Joseph. My goodness, the the, the parallels between Joseph and Jesus are many, and uh, his own people uh, killed him or or sought to kill him, and and just so many things. Um, But he was a type of Christ. In other words, Joseph was not Jesus pre-incarnate or incarnate in a different way. Uh, Joseph had many similarities that would foreshadow Jesus. Moses. Moses said, after me will come a prophet like me listen to him. And so so Moses was a type of Christ, foreshadowing and pointing toward Christ. Jonah, even in um, being cast aside for the life of the others on the boat, he had to die so that they might live. Well, who does that sound like? But then he spent three days in the belly of the fish. And when Jesus was was interacting with those who were demanding a sign, he said, you will not be given any sign except for the sign of Jonah. Well, what does that mean? Well, Jesus descended three days into the grave and then arose again, just as Jonah descended three days into the belly of the fish and... Well, he was spit out, but that's a different thing. (laughs) Um, Melchizedek, I think, is a type of Christ because, again, Jesus functions as prophet, priest, and king, and Jesus um, is not a part of the line of Aaron. Uh, Melchizedek was not a part of the line of Aaron, and so to say to Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek signifies that Jesus is a different priest. And again, I'll commend to your reading Hebrews chapter 7, because it really clarifies some of these issues. Um, But to answer the question, I do not think that Melchizedek was Christ in the Old Testament. I don't think it was Jesus uh, appearing in the Old Testament. I think Melchizedek uh, is a type of Christ pointing us in very special ways to the ministry of Jesus the Christ.
0: Yeah, thank you, Jeff. I hear that question from a lot of people, so thank you for the uh, insightful answer on that. So this coming Sunday is the Sunday of love. Love. Yeah. I also, before we end, want to thank Jordan Evans for recording this week's episode. And uh, Jeff, do you mind praying us out?
1: Yeah. Thank you, Jordan, very much for stepping in for Elliot. And thank you, listeners, for being a part of this experience. This is really fun for us, and I hope it's really fun for you. And more than fun, uh, I pray that it helps all of us draw closer to Jesus. So thank you for being a part of it. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for the fact that you so loved us that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We're thankful that your only begotten Son, now glorified, seated at your right hand, intercedes on our behalf. That's mind-boggling, but we're thankful for it. No, we can't understand it. We're so thankful that Jesus prays for us, even... When the accuser of the brethren accuses us night and day before the throne of God. And the truth is that we are guilty of most of the things. I don't know what all he's accusing us of, but I can tell you there's a lot of guilt there. But we're so thankful, Lord, that through Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven. Our sins separated from us as far as the East is from the West, not to be remembered or counted against us anymore. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I pray for every listener that is in Christ Jesus, who has repented of their sin and received Christ, that the enemy's lies would not shackle them, but rather that they would realize that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is enough to wipe their sin fully away. May we live in that victory, and may we invite all others to come, to come to Christ in repentance and faith and live in that victory as well for Lord, that's the only way we can be more than conquerors in this sin-fallen world. So, Lord, we love you. We trust you. And we thank you for the everlasting joy that is ours in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley.